welcome to Flourishing Education, the podcast that provides you with conversations with experts and like-minded people who would like to see education turn into a flourishing environment for the well-being of all. So, are you ready? Let's start. Hope you enjoy this session. Welcome to another Imperfectly Perfect conversation for the Flourishing Education podcast. This time I'm talking to Catherine Pratt. So Catherine is founder of Sewini, um, which is a social enterprise reimagining education. Um, and she's also a host of the Rethinking Education Committee. Um, Catherine, very warm welcome and feel free to add anything or you know amend anything that I've just said thank you so much thank you so much Fabian it's great to be here yeah I'm yeah I'm a mum to four boys who are nine seven four and two and we've been um home educating now for quite a while um uh I wanted to just say like I'm here and I'm very happy to be here and to say that yeah I just believe in children and um uh, and there's a little story that kind of sums up, I suppose, how I came to be here and, and to found Sueni. Um, there was a, I was standing in a, in a classroom with my year fives, I had 32 year five students, because I used to be a teacher in mainstream, and it had that kind of normal fug, you know, how it's, um, it sometimes gets when everything's a bit damp and the children are all sniffing and, and sneezing and coughing and everything. And, uh, and they were doing their big writing, their kind of uh, independent writing piece. Um, and as I was standing there, I was kind of thinking, oh, you know, they're all doing what they should be doing. You know, if Gavin Williamson had walked in, he'd have just gone, wow, what an ordered and exciting and, you know, deeply learning environment. Um, and then a sort of beautiful beam of sunlight came through the kind of fogged window and um, and it sort of landed on this, this girl's desk and she sort of vaguely looked up, looked up at the beam of sunlight and then kind of sniffed and, and then sort of got back down to her writing. But something about that just just got to me and I I just thought how deeply sad like what are we doing um, to these children? And I looked at my, my class and at that point I did something which completely challenged the Ofsted outstanding school I was in, the head teacher and everything and basically was the beginning of my, <laughs> my walking out of mainstream education. <laughs> um, and set me on my path and, uh, and I'll tell you a bit more about that a bit later but Basically, I, I really do fundamentally believe children are incredible and they are the most advanced learning organism in the entire universe. And um, I think they need some great soil to grow in and we need to provide that. And that should be our absolute focus and see where they bloom, basically. I love that because <laughs> in the first book that I wrote, and I, it's only now that... I'm having these amazing conversations that I I can I'm reconnecting to the metaphor I used in the book. So when I went back to university, 
um, after a nine year gap to say that I was horrified, you know, it's an understatement. And yeah. because I'm quite a curious person, I wanted to see the system hadn't changed that much. So I wanted to understand what was going on with young people that was, they were showing so many um, signs of, you know, mental ill health and stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And through the interviews that I did with the young people, Besides challenging the the linguistic uh, notion of mental health, which is a you know separate conversation to be had, um, what I notice is that actually students, when they come in, um, almost the flourishing ones know who they are, and so suddenly it's like, well, actually, an institution is like a garden. Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like a lot of students want to come in and all be like daffodils. So they all want to be these beautiful rows of daffodils, yes. all yeah. similar or all identicals. And yet none of them are. So some of them are climbing ivies. Others mm-hmm. are orchids, you mm-hmm. know, more fragile, more, you know, need more delicate, I guess, you know. Um, and... And yet they insist on like comparing themselves to like the oak tree saying, but you know, why am I not like this oak tree? And, and, <laughs> and so the more, you know, I'm reconnecting to the, to the first book thinking, well, actually this analogy of the garden works mm. really beautifully. And, and the work that I'm also doing, you know, stepping off the hamster wheel a bit like you've done by, by, sort of going out hang on mainstream may not be just the answer is that I'm also noticing a lot of the uh, social constructs and the societal constructs that we have and one of them is how we view children yes so it's only just recently that I've started questioning my own you know, do I have biases? Do I? How do I view my students? Um, you know, I, I I had a conversation with my 13-year-old, so we dug out the a summary of the UN Convention on the Rights of, of the Child, and we read it together and talked about that. So, you know, I, I think personally, our society still views children as little people who are less than us Mm -hmm. that they are you know they they need to be I mean certainly the mainstream is about you know your empty empty vessel and I'm gonna fill you up with my knowledge the adult who knows everything um and and I guess it this is the main paradigm this is the main cultural view right it totally is and I think um Guy Claxton talks about that quite a lot um that that children don't necessarily need knowledge first in order to then be creative and I think that's what what mainstream education tends to do say okay we'll fill you up with knowledge and then you can go off and be creative it's like well actually no (laughs) you know children are set up absolutely uniquely um, in the way that they understand things like language and create patterns from the things that they hear around them um, in the way that they uh, do mark making and all of the stuff that the that, that early years is so wonderfully stuffed full of um that actually the creativity is there from the beginning with very simple ingredients i mean we don't need to fill them up at all children actually what they need to do is create conceptual frameworks um 
almost like they've got a sort of growing tree inside them, literally, and that the knowledge is the stuff that then hangs off those conceptual frameworks as they're as they're learning and so they kind of can go and seek out what they need oh that's that's missing a bit I, I need to go and find that and then they can put it in the right place <laughs> so it's not just loads of stuff that they're trying to memorize that doesn't have any order to it almost or just an order to it that looks like an exam paper you know that that's what they need to that's what they need to to do yeah fascinating <laughs> beautiful and you know that knowledge that that knowledge piece so i i use this i am someone who's who likes metaphors so i apologize for the for the amount of metaphors but that's how <laughs> that's how i work okay uh, so i was talking to one of my students recently he was really stressed out and i said uh, you know very uh, knowledgeable um but i was saying to to her you're a little bit like a um you know a bird of prey or you know a bird who's trying to fly and actually your knowledge wing really strong and solid but the 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 skills and the wisdom one is so little and not exercised that you can't fly no, no. it's not possible no. um, and I know that Ian Cunningham talks about like the P and the S. So, you know, there, um, would you agree with that? That actually the, the mainstream system, because it's focusing so much on knowledge, does not encourage the, you know, developing the, uh, the, the wisdom and, you know, the, the whole holistic individual um, that you can, you know, those frameworks, I guess, that you were yeah. talking about. Well, I think if you view children as, um, you know, uh, small, incomplete people who are lacking, um, then uh, in mainstream, then, and they, they, you know, they need to be sort of drilled and filled up. Um, you know, there is not that much room. And as we've seen, you know, the arts are kind of getting shaved more and more, aren't they? And particularly, you know, now with this current narrative of lost learning, um, which is just so deeply harmful. <laughs> um, I, I sort of like bury my head in my hands and just go, oh my goodness, oh, no, another story. And it's always leading in the news as well about education. And um, and I just feel like, and, and also yesterday with everything that I sort of um, uh, mentioned earlier with everything to do with behavior hubs and and all of that stuff like and what are children learning if we take this system to its logical conclusion like and nothing changes what sort of children are we going to have and um and uh and there's another interesting uh, story from 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 um another school that i worked in where um we had uh we were told that we needed to do some Christmas ornaments with the children. We were doing sewing, you know, little felt things that we then stuffed. And so we had snowmen and Christmas trees and all the rest of it. Um, and I had a partner teacher, there were two year five classes, and I had a partner teacher who was very, I guess what you call her a traditional teacher. And I guess I would be more progressive, but I'm not sure how helpful these, these sort of names are. Um, really <laughs> we we all just want the children to succeed um and you know and direct teaching has 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 a place when it's invited by kids i believe um but yeah we were doing these uh 
these Christmas tree ornaments and um, you know I spent a lot of time threading the children's needles and you know and, and everything looked wonderfully kind of homemade <laughs> there was <laughs> there was stitching everywhere and there was you know snowmen with strange colors and there was you know stuffing falling out and everything and and I pinned these up on the board and I went do you know what I'm really proud of you guys you've done an amazing job with a skill that you have never ever done before um and then I, I saw I saw my partner teachers ones and I was like wow like what's happened there and they were absolutely immaculate and she had um <laughs> transpired she had bless her taken all of the all of them home unpicked them all and re-sewn them <laughs> so they all looked beautiful <laughs> I thought oh wow now what has that taught the children like yes you've got you know a wonderful beautiful ornament to take home to put on your Christmas tree that you'll probably have in your box now you know for years and years to come that won't fall apart but what have the children now learned from that um, they've learned that what they have um, created is sort of substandard in some way, that their process of learning is somehow lacking, that, 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 um, that their teacher you know, cares a huge amount about them, but that, that she could do a better job than they could. I was just, I, was, I, I went home just like baffled <laughs> and also feeling really kind of like, rubbish too because I was like well maybe hang on a minute maybe I should have taken no 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 that's crazy <laughs> I shouldn't have done that but this is the sort of thing and this is the pressure that teachers are under as well to sort of produce that final outcome um and and far better I feel that children you know have a go at these things and the outcome doesn't matter it's it's providing them with all of the resources the, the thread the kind of extra help to thread needles and all of that stuff and providing it all for them just let them do it you know they they, they don't want to practice it they just want to get in there and like do it you know they hated actually doing the actual design for their thing they just wanted to get the scissors out start cutting felt up you know that was that's that's what they want to do my, my son's exactly the same you know there's no kind of like planning in what he does really he just wants to just get in there and and start making rockets that go up you know it's just like yes <laughs> So we need to do the maths that goes with this. No, no, no. We just need to just give it a go. <laughs> but, then, but then, you know, who, who was it? Um, was it Belle who said, I haven't, I haven't failed a hundred times. I've actually found a hundred ways of not making a light bulb. That's right. Yeah. Totally. You know, so so fair enough. Because if that practice, this is how you're going to learn where, okay, this doesn't work. So how do we do it differently? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And we and not what I mean, you know, you've got four boys, so you'll know that even more than I do, but I've got two boys and yeah. they couldn't be more drastically apart in terms yeah. of yeah, so I've got my eldest is your perfect square for the square that the schooling system wants. Yeah. So, he is I guess if we wanted to give him a label I don't want to give him a label but if we had to then he would be in the gifted talented area um I mean I'll, I'll give you an example we we is in year eight um and we had the parents evening and all the teachers want him to do his GCSE the GCSEs with him so yeah. that you know we please please I think to be honest the, the whole thing felt like a um 
uh, almost like a sales sort of um sales pitch <laughs> or like you know please do my my gcse um, the whole parents evening that's what yeah. it felt like because they all wanted him and um my youngest jack is um uh so he's spelling he really struggles with spelling um and with remembering words uh he to be honest they're, they're different to sort of they've been brought up bilingually but tom spoke really early on for a bilingual child so like 14 months he was saying to my dad press the button granddad that's what he yeah. was saying whereas his brother because he had glue ear would say gang gang instead of granddad when yeah. he was two on the bit um mm. and and I suffered from being compared to my sister who's 19 months old older than me mm. um, yeah. I'd always promised myself that if I had children, I would never, ever compare them. Um, and also, I would never, I don't like labels. So I've always separated the behavior from the person. Yeah. So, you know, labels can be useful sometimes um, to understand things. But actually, you know, separating the behavior is always, for me, always better. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem with the with I guess what I'm seeing in the normal schooling system is that it's um it's a it's a sound standardized so yeah it's uh it's right okay you've got a square hole and you know everybody's gonna come out and you're gonna be standardized and you're gonna look like everybody else yeah yeah and you can understand where that comes from you I mean, kind of don't want really um, uh, you know, if, if parents are, are sending their children into a schooling system, they feel like they need to have a basic level of, you know, X, Y, and Z, and they come out. The problem is, is that the method through which we're doing it now is, is, is utterly awful and actually aggressive and coercive. Um, uh, and that's something that I really wanted to challenge when I founded Soweni, was that I wanted to ask that massive question, like how do we create a learning environment where children can all thrive, where they can explore things that they really feel passionately about and where they have opportunities and invitations to really um, explore many other things that outside of their sphere how do you create that really enriched um soil for them and almost hang all of the kind of assessments about them as individuals in terms of how much they have taken on or not taken on like forget that we're not assessing the children we're going to assess the what we're able to provide for them which is kind of radical <laughs> yeah, so tell me about Suweni. Um, you said that when that beam of light came in that classroom, that had a very profound effect on you. It um, did. It did. So what I did was I I something snapped in me, and I went right. All of you, put down your pens. Um, we're going outside. Uh, they, I said, take all your shoes and socks off, and we did, and we went outside onto the field, which um, happened to be outside the head's office, 
and I grabbed some balls and some posts and um, and we uh, started to have a very sort of disorganized game of um, something that that sort of resembled rounders or baseball or cricket or something like that. But it was astonishing to see. I just started sort of throwing a ball to one of them and then and then and then they started joining in and then suddenly there were teams and then suddenly there was a few that were kind of like a bit on the outside who were feeling a bit not quite sure about what we were doing and then I sort of threw a ball to them and called them you know fielders and then they were just like oh wow I'm, I'm kind of involved I've been brought in um and we played this fantastic uh game all together and they were laughing and hooting and and I thought oh my goodness you know all barefoot it was a bit wet outside didn't really matter we had mud between our toes I had my shoes off as well and I just went oh this is what we need they were learning so much um uh on that afternoon and and the head poked her head out of her office and I saw her about to just sort of say something to me and I went and the, the parents were just starting to gather at the gate and she looked and went oh um maybe I won't and she disappeared back into her office again but at that point I knew I was just like I've got to go this is this is not gonna work <laughs> for me anymore I can't I can't stand there and fill up these children with all this with all this stuff and and similarly you know I worked I worked in inner London as well that's where I trained and and um you know the the children there were extraordinary and I sort of tried everything I possibly could to to um to give them something that wasn't just endless you know tests and times tables and and writing criticisms and and all of that stuff um and we did some massive productions and and brought in lots of different people took them on crazy field trips that I invited the parents in on as well I was just like you really need to come and we had some really comedy times with some of their parents and they were mostly black black Caribbean um kids and and uh, immigrant Somali children who were on that particular estate and so a lot of them were English and digital language as well and and um and I did feel a little bit like really strange too because um being as I am you know white middle class kind of um teacher uh, I felt goodness I really am like a kind of tool of this system um what what are we teaching these guys you know um and obviously uh, you know a few of the the young boys for example um Islamic boys um you know they they were taught not to look at women in the face like that's that's a thing yet yet here we were kind of demanding that um so there was a huge amount kind of in there that sort of started me on this on this journey if you like um and I also studied anthropology of learning and cognition which was also fed in quite a lot um uh then I went to the Caribbean which was um uh a revelation as well and taught the international baccalaureate primary years program there um where i was told that i could teach to my strengths which was astonishing <laughs> <laughs> and the kids were incredible there as well and we did we did um some wonderful stuff where uh we had um the 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 primary years program is great because you have these transdisciplinary themes and you have central ideas that, that the children then can kind of like bring all their subjects around um units of inquiry i suppose and we have this central idea about um water is essential for life yet limited to many and um 
the children did all sorts of exploration around this. And because we were in the Caribbean, it was really hot. And um, the culmination was they were walking, decided to walk themselves around the um, football pitch with like two litres of water balanced on their heads, like for as long as they possibly could in order to get a sense of what it would feel like um, to breathe that, you know, really spread that kind of empathy, what it would feel like to carry all the water that you needed for the day, you know, a mile or more. Um, wow. and, um, and you can imagine the sort of literacy outcomes from that were pretty extraordinary. Um, so yeah, that kind of shifted me again. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And, and when I go back to the UK, I would love to do something that um, really uh, sparked children. And it was all about creating that, creating that environment where they could do this kind of exploration, actually see where their brains went um, and sort of assist them in, in helping answer their questions. Um, so yeah, it was on a, it was on a, on a beach as well. I, I found out I was pregnant with my first boy um and I kind of was standing there and it was all very beautiful um the water lapping at my toes and things and just thinking wow this is quite exciting I've got a little poppy seed of life in my tummy and um and I sort of looked inland and there was there was the sort of uh it was a place called Pockwood Pond which was a, the incinerator and and all of the rubbish from the island just got burned in this massive bonfire um and all of the sewage got poured into the water. So the so the the all the fish that were sort of nibbling my toes were actually poisons, and and you couldn't you couldn't eat any of the fish from around the island at all. And I thought this is this is this is so sad. This is so deeply sad. This is in a microcosm. This is what this is what we're doing to the planet. And and I also thought about the children that I was teaching and and their kind of awareness of the environmental issues um not only on the island but then kind of um more globally and and i was like you know this has got to be another core of of um education um you know they're our last they're our last hope these guys um so that was another part of it that led me to doing what i was doing then finally <laughs> long preamble but finally um uh when my eldest was about three um uh i did the usual diligence and looked around a few of the local schools and they were sort of proudly showing me all of their new classrooms which were just kind of boxes with strip lighting and, and i was like i can't do this <laughs> at all i need to go i need to <laughs> i need to sort it out and do it myself because there wasn't really anything else nothing else kind of alternative but i did know that they needed a community you know they needed that village to raise them and i needed someone who wasn't me as well to help my children and explore different aspects of themselves so i mean i could give them a few you know the nuts and bolts and i could you know give them that nurture and that food and all of the things that they needed but i couldn't give them i couldn't give them i'm you know i'm not brilliant at music and i'm not brilliant at languages and and all of these things that i know that would be an amazing part of their life so i set about finding my village and um and i managed to sort of scoop up quite a few um local families to and persuade them through the various talks at the Eden Project and the Maritime Museum and stuff that um, that that this is what we needed to do, and um, 
so we we sort of set up a kind of um, thing where all the children were, you know, home educated um, on paper, and um, and we thought we'd do this sort of uh, eighteen hours a week. So it was like you know three longish mornings, I suppose. Um, uh, and and I looked at farms and I looked at different places for us to do it and uh, and finally miraculously um, uh, some wonderful uh, a wonderful family offered their land to do it and we had a um, double garage which we kind of converted and set up a, a Bedouin tent and a teepee <laughs> and we had two log cabins as well so we had this and it was on about an acre of land on the North Cornish cliffs. So we could see the sea from where we were. Um, and it was utterly beautiful. And uh, we had fire pits and, and um, did brought in a lot of forest school type activities and tools and that sort of thing. Um, and the whole aim really was to, to see, um, yeah, what happened with these kids. And they were mixed age, they were four to nine year olds. Um, and uh and we shared bread as well sort of midway through the morning and you know there was it was it was really wonderful and the parents were involved too so we had this thing called inspiring um inquiring sessions which we called inquiring which were quite funny where the parents kind of uh, brought an activity and to see if the children were keen and it was so interesting because often the children would kind of pay, pay a bit of attention do it for a bit and then they'd kind of just mosey off and carry on with their projects <laughs> and the parents were left there going but but <laughs> we want you to listen to <laughs> yeah yeah we want you to sit down and listen to the to the to the to the stuff that I'm going to espouse to you because I need to fill you up with with my wonderful activity and, and the children you know they were kind of interested but then then they weren't and that's that was totally cool and that was quite hard for the parents to kind of understand and the other part that was that was quite tricky for for the parents to understand was the kind of just the the bringing in of the literacy and the numeracy with everything we were doing so it was um you know they were doing incredible jumping off a, a woodshed um and and then they just suddenly wanted to turn it into a bit of a competition so they were trying to figure out ways of measuring so then they went and got a stick and said okay so that's a stick and see if you can jump past the end of the stick. And then they're like, oh, okay, so we can jump past the end of the stick, right? Oh, we need to know how much we're jumping past the end of the stick. And so it led to them creating a meter rule and then another meter rule. And then, and then they were dividing that into, into half and then into half again. So then they had, you know, a meter and a quarter or a meter and a half or whatever. And then, and then, and then gradually they divided it up into, into little, you know, tens, and we had centimeters you know they'd kind of discovered centimeters without even really realizing what had gone on and and um and so that was wonderful too there's so many stories i could tell i could tell you about <laughs> it was great this is learning real learning happening you know throughout our life right the fact yeah. We learn not just in a in a particular setting, but when we are at home, when you know, exactly. all the time. Yeah. yeah, and when we're happy as well, and when we're kind of like you know, when we've got a full tummy, and when we've got, and we're kind of focused on something, and time just disappears. It's like immersion, isn't it? Time just disappears, and it, and you kind of um, feel like, yeah, you're like, where did that two hours just go? Like, I've just been, have I, have I not actually moved? Wow, like. <laughs> 
Um, and that was there the whole time. So we did this um, well-being scale, leaving well-being scale, I think it's a, it's a scale of like one to five as to how the children were. Yeah. And you know, we had a real mix of kids from where well, some had been in mainstream and been told they were failing. Some were just emotionally not really able to function in a classroom. And, and then we had kids who'd never been to school at all. Um, so we had a real, real mix and a real mix of demographics as well which was really wonderful and they they were all all the time utterly focused they were scoring fives the whole time that they were in this environment um other magic things we had yeah we had loads of music and and things like that. we had two parents who were international musicians and they were amazing at just bringing music into into their lives like every time you know we'd have them like you know <laughs> Just, just these parade of guitars and violins and things across the grass and they're heading into the into their tent to sort of uh you know perform and things like that so it was yeah that was pretty cool pretty cool um i'll tell you one more story just before before we move on but this this will make you laugh in terms of the dispositions that i think guy claxon talks about he talks about uh, you've heard this the, the river where if you think about children as being a river like constantly moving constantly flowing and then at the, at the kind of at the surface level you've got kind of knowledge which is the sort of stuff they pick up along the way and then a sort of bit deeper deeper in you've got kind of their character and dispositions which are kind of like quite slow moving but really kind of foundational stuff and um there was a wonderful moment where uh i had buried some uh sixpences some silver sixpences that i had um, sort of Victorian coins um, in this in the digging pit, which was this sort of semi pond at the bottom of the cart, <laughs> at the bottom of the land, anyway. And um, and uh, and then um, I just sort of sat back and waited to see if anybody would find one. Anyway, it didn't take long before someone was digging around and found this silver sixpence, and they were sort of came running up to me, super excited. Cath, 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 look what I found! What I found! I was just like, oh wow, where did you find it? Maybe there's some more. And, and then suddenly everyone is sort of clocked into this and, and all the spades and trowels and rakes and everything sticks, everything had been brought to the digging pit. And this was like suddenly an archeological excavation. But the fascinating thing was each child had a totally different technique <laughs> to, to acquiring sixpences. So there was some children, there was um, a child who was kind of um, just spent ages selecting his tool. He was just sitting there just going trout, spades, you know, stick, what am I going to go for? And he was just there just thinking tool, tool is it. And almost like he was about to miss all the action because, you know, you just need to get involved. <laughs> and then there was another child who was just quietly just going along and finding them and not telling anyone, just sliding them into his pocket. <laughs> he was just like, just didn't make a big deal out of it at all. <laughs> Love it. And there was another one who was circling the outside of the pit who was um who was just picking out everyone's everyone's uh, going through everyone's waste so all the piles of sat all the piles of, of um, soil that were coming out were getting sort of like filtered again by this this child who was just just looking for for coins that might be mixed up in the in the in the leftovers in the tailings <laughs> awesome and then there was um, there were two girls in there who were kind of going around quite diligently collecting collecting coins quite, and, and working collaboratively. So they were sort of sharing them out between them. Um, 
And then there was one child, and this was the fascinating thing, there was one child who was sat right at the bottom of the pit, in the middle, proclaiming very loudly that he had more coins than anybody else. And, um, and yet he was doing absolutely nothing. Yet he was sat there, you know, saying, I've got all these coins, look at me, I'm, I'm great. And what was fascinating was all, like some of the children, particularly the one who was like going through all the tailings and stuff, and the two girls just came up and started giving him coins. I was like, wow, that is fascinating. <laughs> in terms of looking at each child's kind of way of being in the world. And these kids, there were four to, yeah, four to nine-year-olds. So, and each child, and, and this one sitting in the middle was six. And <laughs> he somehow got it, got it in his head that he could actually socially manipulate the situation and ensure that he got the most coins. So yeah, that was that was really interesting in terms of um, analysing their dispositions. Yeah, and seeing what they learn. And I was thinking, you know, in when in school can you do that sort of thing? And when in school are teachers taking note of that sort of thing? And when in school is that actually um, valued? Um, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. You know, to be able to, you know, observe this kind of this kind of behaviour and these kind of real deep character traits developing. Yeah. You know, it's just it's. I found it so interesting and and wonderful and and enriching for myself. Um, and the children very much too, you know, and the parents were sort of slightly, <laughs> I was like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> and I think, I think it's, it's really interesting because it's about also you as the adults getting to know each individual child, right? And, exactly. and accepting them for who they are as individuals. Yeah. yeah. In effect, that's what I feel, you know, that's what I was saying earlier on. I feel that that's what's been happening for me um, mm -hmm. over the last year is really discovering who my 13 and my 10 and a half year old are. Yeah. Um, and in a way that I had never done it because I was part of a system that just requires me to be out of the house at 7.30 and not back until six o'clock. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow, awesome. And so what, what happened after that? Are you still in the same premises as you, you were in the field? No. So, well, we did lots. Um, we did. We ran it for about two years um, and it was always supposed to be a pilot. So we were kind of like hoping to like just kind of maybe continue it in some shape or form. But we finished after a couple of years um, and then did a lot of um, thinking about and writing up and, and everything. And we've got a wonderful place um, in uh, Paul's Town. Where we're hoping to build and we got um, um, a squirt of lottery funding to get all the planning application and everything else in to do that um, and the, what that's going to look like probably is is going to be a sort of self-directed um, learning center that you know will be open to all sorts of all sorts of children but also um, uh, link it in with the world schooling movement as well and I don't know if you've spoken to anyone about that but that's pretty no I haven't where um yeah you have lots of um unschooling or self-directed uh educating families who are travel the world and they um sort of stop off places for a month or a couple of months at a time and then they can kind of plug into educational um centers um for their kids 
but to have quite a kind of yeah international flavor to it all would be incredible um just given my background and everything we had kids you know collaborating all over the place when we were running Suwani as the physical pilot and we also did a pilot um during lockdown as well online and virt virtual collaborations as well with projects um I'll just say a little bit about the projects actually because that, that's a re another really interesting angle um and something that that I noticed um a lot uh, was that children um, go through this kind of project cycle, as we do as well, obviously, as, as, as grown-ups and as, as, as learners, um, where they sort of start off with this incredible spark of inspiration. It's like a massive flashbang crash, like, I need to look at this and I want to do this. And, and they kind of, that, that flash of inspiration then sort of let, goes up into a kind of idea, like, this is, this is what their plan is their goal this is what they want to do and then sort of realism sets in and they kind of come down a little bit on a slope <laughs> you can imagine this and realism sets in you know, oh i haven't got the right materials oh you know i haven't got any money to do this i need some budget or i you know i i i need some more expertise i need to go and learn how to do that first but that realism sets in and they sort of go oh okay and then they might go into something called the struggle pit the learning struggle pit which is like a kind of a bit of a you know, it's a slough of despond really where you're sat there just going this is impossible what was i thinking i don't know how i'm gonna get out of here and and i see this you know like my son was doing this the other day he was coding in hopscotch and and he was just like i don't know how this is gonna i just can't get past this it won't do what i wanted to do uh, uh. and and um often at that point that's where like that's where loads of the learning happens and and I feel like schools often sit on sit on students in that point and and say you've got to go into this struggle pit and just really you know that's where you'll 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 get a lot of this is that's where you'll get you know your, your hard stuff. Um. So then they go into the struggle pit and then and then through help with somebody else or with their own understanding growing while they're there, they will find a way out. Um, and it might be that they leave the project for a bit and come back to it another day or and, and something occurs to them while they're in the bath, who knows, but but they will find a way out of that struggle pit and and then they'll come up the other side and feel like there is now a pathway to success. There is a way that they can now manifest what they're going to do, and it might be completely different to what they'd started off planning that's okay, but they have found a way through and then and then there's a kind of like point at which they can then share it they'll feel like there's and it's got some positive impacts as well so they kind of go along this 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 project cycle and it can be tiny little things tiny little moments in the day where they go through this little project cycle or it can be a massive long months and months long project but these projects run parallel to each other all the time for us and for and for kids and that there's no sort of end to them really <laughs> And even mm. if you kind of finished one and shared it, and we, we shared it on something called the mountaintop, which was a kind of big kind of gallery place where we could put all of the finished products, if you like. Um, like the, the, the nuggets of the ideas that you've, you've um, used along the way don't ever stop. Like there'll be something else that comes along that reminds you about it. And then you might go along and carry on with it in some way, shape or form, but it takes a different route. So yeah, that's kind of project cycles and 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 enabling children. Um, and people keep talking about 21st century skills and things like collaboration and creativity and curiosity and stuff. But if you look at every point along though that project cycle, they are using those those skills 
hugely i mean they're human skills aren't they 21st century skills, soft skills whatever you want to call it that they're human skills they're the skills that actually demarcate us from anything else any other animal and also the ai that's coming as well coming that is here <laughs> you know and that gives us our human edge if you like that's yeah that's it and how you then create the um the circumstances for those things to really get like start exploding and like as i say always say like hit the learning expressway if you like <laughs> is is by looking at what i call the thrive elements of of the learning environment which are so agency is a big one and it's agency that's um um amelia peterson and valerie hannon talk about they've got a wonderful new book which you should all read called um, thrive the purpose of schools in a changing world and and they talk about they talk about this as well agency being absolutely key it's the ownership and leadership and voice that a child has in their learning it's their it's their being in charge of the path that they're treading not feeling like they're a cork being washed around <laughs> by life that they are that they have that solidity of character and and confidence in their own skin that they know that they can steer themselves and they can get out of it um, and that's totally totally key i think to, to 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 how we need you know children moving out of education their sort of formal education years and and beyond into the worlds of work and things like that and into their life generally that's so important um yeah, another yeah. one is purpose and whatever they're doing they need that purpose they need that kind of spark of inspiration and that kind of idea of what where they're going and what they're doing and i know the japanese talk about ikigai don't they the the um i think it's where your passions talents and your ability to earn money kind of meet <laughs> and there's a sort of sweet spot there that purpose and and children often you know find their purpose fairly early on my eldest is just absolutely like super keen on performing in some way shape or form like dancing singing rapping like it's astonishing he just needs to share himself with the world in that way and it's just mm -hmm. his language and then i've got another one another child who's just absolutely not like that at all and he just loves whittling and making things with sharp blades <laughs> like, that's just it's Amazing. <laughs> they're so different they're so different so purpose is another one freedom is key as as peter gray says free to learn um it's all of those things isn't it it's the it's the things that he talks about um education being the child's responsibility unlimited opportunities to play opportunities to play with the tools of the culture too so don't be scared of computers and technology and screen time and all of those sorts of things i've i've navigated that i've just got a little simple app that means i can control it from my phone and if i feel like they're doing too much i just go guys i'm gonna have to lock it now because i feel like we've been doing this too much and let's switch it off or they say to me mum can you lock it now because i've kind of gone down a rabbit hole a youtube rabbit hole <laughs> i can't get out <laughs> so they have that sort of reflection and that 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 metacognitive ability to to understand um access to a variety of caring adults that's what we really tried to do with Sawani, and that worked really well we were all kind of big family really and ch children could um, go to any of the adults and know that they were loved and cared for and safe um 
and also we mentored each other's children as well which was also fascinating and that's a whole other kind of conversation really that was brilliant and to see what it brought out of the adults as well as what it brought out of the children you know having different a different grown-up to kind of um yes hold your hand through um yeah free mixing peter gray talks about as well free mixing among children of different ages and that's we had that work so beautifully um you know it just didn't really feel like there was that big gap really between ages because the older ones were helping the younger ones and actually the younger ones were enabling the older ones to see things in a different way as well uh, and see problems with their particular project because a lot of them you know they would make things for the younger ones and then the younger ones would play with them and they'd go oh actually uh i need to fix that because that's not quite what i intended to happen yeah and then immersion in a stable moral and democratic community um you know where the children can really see the decision makers and be a part of it and hear their voice yeah so that all comes under sort of freedom and stuff and then the other ones the other thrive elements we had at so many were connection to each other um nature immersed in nature so there's that deep connection to that as well which was critical valuing each other and valuing yourself get linked to agency as well trust um i know brene brown has a wonderful trust um have you heard that the wonderful trust uh, yeah. acronym braving boundaries and um reliability and accountability and yeah confidentiality and things like that generosity which will come under that and then safety like mm. you need to feel safe amazing sorry that was a bit of a download <laughs> that, is, that is awesome because that resonates so much with a lot of the things that i see in my model around flourishing students yeah yeah so you know that that purpose is what i would call spiritual health so the yeah. fact that you know young people who arrive at university knowing why they are doing what they're doing it can also be sometimes a sense of like belonging to something bigger than than you know um or you know a religious sense for some some others um, but yeah definitely all of that resonates and you know in the work that I've been doing on embedding well-being in the curriculum yeah that you the agency I would call autonomous uh, motivation and you know yeah. autonomy that sort of like feeds from one another so yeah absolutely just completely resonates um so like awesome work you're doing um and and like with everything, I'm just sort of thinking, right, okay, so if if we, you know, if we wanted what you're doing to become just absolutely for everybody, how yeah. do we do that? That's the huge question. Yeah. Because because it just, you know, obviously you've given up your your job as a as a teacher to do this. Yeah. Um, and you were saying like there's loads of families who are involved, which means that one parent will be involved in in this. Um, and a lot of the, you know, I guess a lot of the conversations I'm having around home education is around that, isn't it? It's around, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do we do if we are a single parent, for example? Mm. But we want we we want change. Yeah, well, what I think we need to do is actually to start creating these these learning centers. So, so I think in terms of having schools, 
like schools in themselves are brilliant for community, for you know, collective childcare stuff. They are brilliant for the children having space and time to play with each other. The focus just needs to be different. They need to look different from the you know deep inside out. Um, they need to be become learning oases for for families, not just you know not just the children. Um, and because you know parents need they need that, need that childcare for to be able to work. And we had exactly that with Suwani. We had you know we had parents who were who were who were who were single parents who were still working. And who also um, felt like they needed to, you know, um, make a uh, contribution to the community, and and then we had other parents who stepped up and took their children early in the morning and then brought them into the school, and so there was that kind of wonderful collective thing. And then the, the working parents would would contribute in lots of other ways. They would they would you know bring useful stuff in, or you know they would there were different ways in which people could then contribute, but that everybody felt that. Um, that all of the children were deeply important and that all of the parents were deeply important as well. And that we would just like really try and make sure that we had our, our minimum viable product, if you like, <laughs> functional. Um, and that people's contributions would wax and wane with, with, with health issues, with, with, um, you know, with income variations and with time variations. Um, and it was, it, was, it was tricky to manage in some respects, because you know there was some sometimes there was just like okay like me and another one of the you know educators were we had flu and it was just it was like we couldn't do anything yeah. and we had to close you know it was just like we had to just say sorry like there's no way we can skin this <laughs> no matter how wonderful the community is we can't we can't make this work sorry <laughs> um so yeah there are there are challenges um and I think fundamentally that if, if we've got the incredible tools of, of AI, which I think can augment children's learning. I mean, I feel um, that really what we need is an incredible new way of um, documenting children's project cycles and incredible learning journeys that they do. And something like um, uh, a sort of fractal image that when you dive into it, you can see all of their different project cycles and their photos and videos and everything else um, uh, that then show you all of their different skills um, that are developing and emerging um, and, and also kind of make it so, so it's, it's really, really colourful so that actually when you zoom out, it's just this incredible sort of flower of a person um, that, you know, has incredible collaborative um, abilities and his is kind of um, innovative over here but then they're also quite good as being a follower um, you know they occasionally step into a leadership role but not really <laughs> you know yeah. you can kind of yeah. and so in an instant you can really see what someone's character is made of and then dive in if you want to um, into the kind of nitty gritty granular stuff and by all means have little exams little little sort of nano degrees or, or micro assessments that children can complete along the way that aren't any longer high stakes mm. and I think if we have something like that um, then what as the sort of outcome if you like a kind of life outcome um, or an education outcome that then 
universities and employers can look at either as a snapshot or as a deep dive. Um, I know Google are asking for a much kind of, you know, um, more textured portrait of abilities and no longer looking at grade point averages and all the rest of it. So there's a lot of employers, I know Virgin the same, like there's a lot of employers who are starting to look beyond grades and high stakes, you know, grades. Um, I think the trickle down then effect of having that kind of outcome of education will be massive further downstream or upstream, downstream, upstream, upstream. <laughs> Depends how you look. No really. way going at it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, and, and just to think that then teachers will be able to actually focus on creating this the incredible environment that the children need. Um, and document and just focusing on documenting all of the questions they have, all of the things that they're looking at, all of the different um, dispositions that they're, you know, at the bottom of the river that are kind of starting to come out, you know. Um, that would be amazing. And you just think what kind of education that would then bring. Oh, sorry, someone's joining me. Get rid of that. Um, yeah, and what kind of um, uh, yeah, what kind of education that would then form and what that would look like? Because it's the it's the high stakes stuff that's causing this, this what we're seeing at the moment, and this behavior hubs and this, you know, drilling children. Yeah. But it's accepting children are incredible learning things and they're not incomplete humans they are more than capable of insane creativity from the get-go and and just providing them with the resources they need um is critical yeah i love that i love that that's sort of view of a yes and that will have an impact because because what you're developing in in young people is exactly what we what they need for yeah. what's coming because we don't yeah. know what's coming and you know as like you said Mary in one of the in the the second book in how to grow grown up we say well we don't know what our children you know with AI yeah we really don't know what what jobs are going to be there for them and yeah. if, if then they've not had the opportunity to to think outside of of the box mm. And, you know, I, I see so many young people who come out of university with a to one or a first and they don't know who they are. They don't know what they stand for. They, you know, some of them do. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. so many of them actually don't know what they want to, you know, what jobs they want to do or, you know, what they. And I think that's really sad. I think that, that utterly, you know. I, I see it so much so upsetting yeah um amazing absolutely the other thing is with ai as well i mean century have got a great thing where you know children sit down and it tells them um what learning uh nuggets they need next for their next sort of next stage of of knowledge acquisition i suppose if you like but but in, in, in terms of flipping it around imagine then if we had um you know sort of plugged into this um system this education journey system um that you had the ai and like it just pops up you know oh i noticed uh locks was locks you were doing rockets yesterday did you know that elon musk is about to launch something in an hour shall i shall i book you onto the 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 live feed you know like just that sort of ability for it to spot patterns subject matter and that sort of stuff and make suggestions as to where that child can go next um you know, brian cox is talking at, at plymouth 
um shall I book you a ticket <laughs> you know, that kind of thing yeah. you know just like wow actually suddenly we're actually using the internet and using artificial intelligence to see um what what is sparking children's interests and be able to then map them an incredible learning journey um, and really feed into all of their creativity in that way. I think that could be really exciting. <laughs> it is really exciting. Amazing. So when I when I wrap up with with my with my guests on like the conversation, I always ask them if you had one or two things you would want the listeners to take away from our conversation, what would it be? Oh, I. I would really like you to go to bed tonight and spend like a couple of minutes dreaming about what education you, your child, not just the one sleeping, but the one inside of you would like um, to see what elements are there that you were so passionate about as a child that we can start to think about bringing into the into the soil that we need for education to really flourish and thrive um, and also uh, also have hope that things are changing mm -hmm. and if you want to um, there's there's my website sueni.com but also um, the rethinking education mighty networks that Fabienne and I are both members of that um, is for parents and it's for educators and it's for anyone who has a passion about um, making things better and shifting things in a different direction from where they're currently going. Um, please join because it's um, there's so many great ideas sort of floating around there. Just get in there and have a rummage around. Um, uh, and you know coming from all walks of life and uh and there's you know traditional educators on there progressive ones <laughs> like there's there's a whole heap of of exciting dialogue happening so that's another really good thing to do yeah absolutely fabulous it's so <laughs> on the i'll put your link and you um, and the, the rethinking education as well um Catherine, thank you so much. I hope this isn't the, the first of many conversations. I hope it is too. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, so have I. Thank you so much. Oh, total pleasure, Fabienne. <laughs> and thank you for doing this podcast because this is exactly the sort of thing. Great things happen when conversations are had like this. Yeah, I agree. And that's why I created it. Yes, yeah. I learned so much from people like yourself. <laughs> time. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to this episode if you enjoy our podcast please subscribe and leave a review on apple podcast or follow us on spotify you can also reach me via twitter at flourishing on linkedin or you can join our private facebook group flourishing education all the links are easily available on anchor.fm thank you so much and I hope you are flourishing. Bye for now.